Thank you for listening to Legends of Tabletop. My name is Leah, and I am here with, uh, with Paul Trebley. And would you care to introduce yourself, Paul? Sure. First, you know, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Legends of Tabletop. And uh, I am Paul Trembley, author of The Head Full of, uh, not The Head Full of Ghosts. That's a different book. <laughs> a Head Full of Ghosts. Um, in my most recent book, Cabinet at the End of the World, and Dog, Father to Holly, who may interrupt at some point, but hopefully she'll be good. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. So I know that you've been asked this question many, many, many times. Uh, how long have you been doing this, mm. uh, being the writing and keeping and creation of tales? Um, geez, it's, it's been a long time. I mean, I, I think I, I, I first started messing around with writing stories and I would, I'd say the first attempt happened in like 1996. Mm -hmm. um, and I only know that date because it's right around when I got my first teaching job. Um, and, you know, for the first like four to five years, I really wasn't very serious with it. It was very much a hobby. Um, I was also uh, messing around with guitar playing and trying to write songs. I mean, if I had my druthers, I would have been a, a punk metal rock star <laughs> but uh I, I eventually found out quickly found out i should say i was a better writer than i was a musician so um geez i guess it was in 2000 or 2001 that i made my first you know what we call the professional short story sale because at the time like the professional mark was three cents a word um yeah so i started getting more serious in the early 2000s and you know it's been a slow but mostly steady climb you know with some pratfalls here and there uh since then well, all right. Now, when when doing short stories for the professional market, have you always centered around this genre of thriller horror? Uh, yeah. When I, I mean, when I first started, I definitely like self-identified as a you know I'm a horror writer, um, and almost all the short stories I wrote, you know, some might have veered into fantasy or science fiction a little bit, but almost exclusively the short fiction was horror. Although, oddly enough, my first attempts at novels or my first serious attempts at novels were not horror. They were more sort of like humorous, uh, even, you know, comedy, uh, which, you know, not, you know, in retrospect, sort of makes sense because to me, horror and humor are sort of both the reactions you have to life's absurdities. You're either going to react in horror to it or, yeah. you know, you try to laugh at it. That's quite true. Now, uh, <laughs> what drew you to this? Like, let's see. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, let's see. Let's do it too. What scared you? Uh, so for me, the very was, first thing. What scared you as a human being? Right. The very first thing was um, Creature Double Feature, which was a, a television program somewhat i think it was local to boston uh you know this was before cable tv i'm sort of aging myself here but uh you know when i was really young probably you know seven eight nine um and it was on like channel 56 just outside of boston like the uhf you know there used to be two dials on the television that was the second dial and on saturday afternoons they would show you know the program was called creature double feature they would show two movies the first one was usually a godzilla or kaiju movie mm -hmm. and then the second movie was more of a straightforward horror movie um, and, you know, I loved Godzilla because I loved dinosaurs as a kid. But uh, the second movies would always, you know, scare the heck out of me and give me nightmares. You know, even goofy stuff now, like Attack of the Killer Shrews. I remember that movie. You know, it's an old, you know, 1950s black and white. It's not very good. Um, but, you know, seeing it when I was like eight years old, you know, I found it quite scary. Okay. 
<laughs> what was your favorite dinosaur? Uh, you know, I think it, it, well, it's funny. I just had an argument with someone online recently because as a child, my favorite dinosaur was Dimetrodon. And I mm -hmm. tried saying that recently and people are like, that's not actually a dinosaur. That was like whatever they called them beforehand. Oh. But they all count as dinosaurs to me. I mean, uh, Dimetrodon, T-Rex, you know, the meat eaters were my favorite. Okay. Um, yeah. So what would you say the last, like, like very recently, what was the last time you pulled someone's leg? Uh, boy, when was the last time? I feel like I just did it fairly recently. Um, I don't know if this counts as like a full, uh, full prank, but I've, um, I spent a week in England. It was a lovely week. It was the first time ever off the continent for me and, um, did like a book tour of England, which was fantastic. So, uh, some of my friends at Titan books or one of my friends, Lydia, who, who was my publicist and took me around for the week. I just happened to notice, uh, at one point, cause we were in all these train stations and every train station, like there were the not the conductors, but the people sort of in charge of keeping the trains moving were blowing whistles. And I was just like, man, you people in England love blowing whistles. So um, I, I still continue to, to send Lydia like whistle gifts or whistle jokes. Um, okay. she, she bought me a British whistle before I came home, which was sort of funny. So I mailed back to England uh, an American whistle. They do sound different. <laughs> I imagine that they do. Yeah. Um, in, in what way? I mean, is it a difference in the material that they're made out of? Um, well, it's funny. Well, uh, the, the British whistles that I listened to had a higher trill. And you could tell they had a wooden or a, maybe not a wooden pea, uh, not a bamboo. Yeah, some sort of wood pea in the middle. I don't know. It, I teach at a private school and they make me coach as well. Mm -hmm. So like <laughs> the more modern whistles that we have just have like holes in the side so there's no pea. Because, you know, the pee can get wet, it can get stuck. So, like, the peeless whistles are actually louder, and there's not that, like, trill to it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to write a book on whistles, the differences. <laughs> now, what, what do you coach? Boy, this is weird. Uh, I coach the eighth grade football team and uh, the JV high school basketball team. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, basketball I enjoy. I mean, I like football, too, but I'm actually I'm getting out of it after this year. Um it, some of it's like you were just forced to do it. Like when I was first hired, mm -hmm. uh, I was hired a week before school started. And th this was in the mid nineties. And the athletic director pointed me and said, JV soccer <laughs> and, as my assignment. I was like, ah, I've never played soccer in my life. He said, oh, it's JV soccer. So the first wow. soccer game I ever saw, I coached, <laughs> um, you know, then eventually you know, I, I went over to football so it can change. You know, sometimes it's more just like, being a body, you know, just making sure that there's another adult. And usually, you know, the person who actually knows the sport is in charge of the team. <laughs> but, you know, I've been there so long now that, you know, coaching is sort of coaching. Now, Paul, you had mentioned that you just came back from England. Right. Please share some of that experience with us. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful. So it was, you know, mid to late July. Um, mm -hmm. It started off... Uh, I was a guest at the Lit Edge convention in Derby. Mm -hmm. So it's a one-day convention. I think it's only six or seven years old, so it's relatively new. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so it was one day. It wasn't all horror, you know, some science fiction and fantasy, et cetera. Yeah, so it was very much like, you know, not England's not a super exotic place for most people. But, you know, the conventions are what you, you know, well, what are conventions in the U.S. are like? You know, there are panels and dealers okay. room and all that stuff. Uh, but after after that, um, convention I went to four other cities 
and did readings. And, you know, the best part besides, you know, see, getting to see England for me was one of the best parts was getting to meet writers like Mark Morris and uh, uh, Mark Morris and uh, Stephen Laws. And I got to meet Priya Sharma and I got to meet have dinner with Ramsey Campbell and, you know, hang out with Adam Neville. So that was really exciting just to meet all these people that I've been reading. Um, and then the unexpected best part was seeing the vampire rabbit of Amen Corner in Newcastle. Um, now this, this deserves a little more explanation yeah. here. Yeah. So the fun part was I just happened to tweet out some pictures of in Newcastle, which is in Northern England. Um, and somebody on Twitter was like, Hey, you have to go see the vampire rabbit. I'm like, okay, tell me where it is. And actually only ended up being like two blocks from my hotel. Oh, wow. So this is like, um, I mean, it's some sort of gargoyle, but it is a rabbit. It's a black rabbit, you know, with big ears. It's actually got red, like, claws. And the, the fun part... Yeah, no, it looks good. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's perched over this doorway that's across the street from a giant old um, uh, church. And mm. they don't know, like, why it's there. I mean, there are competing theories, but ultimately no one knows, like, why this thing has been there for, you know, how long, however long it's been there. Wow, because yeah. the... The first thing I'm thinking of is the number of the counting shall be three and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the holy hand grenade and all of that. With the yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, apparently that had been uh, just, just part of the cathedral and the stonework there. Yeah. Well, what it was even, it was across from the cathedral. It was a, a building. I don't know if it was, if the building that uh, there was the big cathedral and then there was a building in behind the cathedral and across from it. So some, there's some theories that think that this is sort of like a, a two finger salute, you know, for an England uh, to the cathedral or to the church of England. But, okay. but, but, but that's just a theory. No one knows for sure. Okay. Yeah. It is very odd, but yeah. So if you're ever in Newcastle, you should look it up. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, that, that's wonderful. So you were able to go and that was part of your publicity. I'm assuming as part of the publicity tour for the cabin at the end of the world. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Now how I'm, I'm, I'm trying to posit this question in such a way as to not be too imposing, okay. but, uh, but how is, is, this book with that publisher uh, to fulfill a contract that you have with William Morrow. Um, I mean, just uh, what what led to oh, that? I see. So, well, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I'm um, just thinking where I'll start. So, I'll start by saying first what I first got hooked up with William Morrow with a head full of ghosts, and it was a two book mm -hmm. deal, um, okay. and that became a head full of ghosts and disappearance of Devil's Rock. And then, so after that, I was off deal. So um, I have a great relationship with my editor, Jennifer Brell. You know, she's wonderful. Um, I mean, she's really, you know, helped save and then, you know, make my career or at least the second part of it or a, re, a rebirth, uh, whatever, however you'd want to put it. So anyway, I had to, once those two books were done, I had to, I had to pitch her a new book to get back on deal. Um, and I actually pitched her a novel that she didn't like first. Um, I, I ended up writing like a 30 page summary, which is really obnoxious. Like most summaries tend to be like 10 pages or so. So I knew I had overwritten the summary and it would have been like this really long, almost sort of unwieldy book. Um, and I wasn't totally in love with it, but I sent it to her anyway, cause that's all I had. And mm -hmm. she was like, nah, you know, and I kind of need, I, I needed to hear that from her. 
So yeah. I, I was okay that she didn't want to do that book. So luckily I, you know, not too short after that, I, I was able to come up with the idea uh, of the cabin at the end of the world. Um, and when I told her about the book, she was really excited about it. So I spent the summer of uh, 2016 writing 50 pages and then a summary, about 10 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, she needed at least 50 pages in the summary to, to present to the publisher. So, yeah, and they agreed. And it's a three-book deal. So it's Cabin. Next summer is a short story collection called The Growing Things and Other Stories. Yeah. And then some other novel that will be out the next summer that I just started like a couple of weeks ago. Do, do we do we get any type of a uh, summary of what it might be about? Oh, the novel? No. I, I'll say its working title is Survivor Song. Maybe that's all okay. I'd be willing to say. But uh, I'd be happy to talk more about the collection, which I just turned in edits on. Absolutely. Yeah, so that'll be out next Please summer, do. sure. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so it's actually, it's quite, it's my longest book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's almost 400 pages, uh, 19 stories, which is quite a lot. But, you know, I wanted to take advantage of the fact that a big publisher was actually willing to do a short story collection. Uh, they don't do very many, particularly for horror writers. Um, and I, hopefully the fun part for people who've read the novels is that, you know, four, four of the stories have connections to A Head Full of Ghosts or Disappearance of Devil's Rock. Uh, the title story, Growing Things, Uh, is a reference to, for those that have read A Head Full of Ghosts, uh, the two sisters in A Head Full of Ghosts, Mary and Marjorie, tell each other stories. And in the novel, Marjorie tells Mary a story about uh, these uncontrolled, you know, these vines that grow uncontrollably and take over the world. And it really becomes like a theme of, you know, that that takes place in the novel. So that was actually a story I had written way back in like 2010 um, and decided to cannibalize for my novel. So the first story of the collection is the actual short story of the growing things that I wrote. Um, okay. Yeah. And then a couple other stories, two of the two originals to the collection. Uh, one is a novella called um, notes from the dog walkers, which is sort of a fun title <laughs> in the story is actually notes left by uh, people who are walking a dog for a writer, you know, a very loose stand in for myself. Um, oh, wow. And that, that was a very fun story to write. You know, it ends up getting quite meta but it does um, have connections to both a head full of ghosts and disappearance of devil's rock. And then the last story in the collection is a story that actually takes place after the action of a head full of ghosts. And it features Mary. Uh, Mary is an adult. Um, the book on her life has come out. The tell all book on her life has come out and she's actually at uh, San Diego comic-con on a panel. <laughs> yeah. um, and then afterwards she's confronted by a really you know, obsessed fan um, and she decides to tell the fan uh, a Marjorie Mary style story. So that's most of the story. The frame is just Mary and the fan. Um, and the main part of the story, it's called the 13th Temple, um, is the story that she tells. Okay. Yeah, now, so that was a lot of info. <laughs> hey, it, it, it was quite a bit of info. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, but yes, I, I, for one, I, I'm going to admit that I actually spoiled uh, <laughs> the end of of that for myself a oh, little no. bit. Yeah. Just just by by looking at your website oh. while I was in the middle of reading the book. Oh no. Yeah, and then it's like, oh no, I saw something I shouldn't have. Oh. Crud. Crud, <laughs> crud, crud. Yeah. And then and then I just went on and finished it. And it was 
Oh, um, well, well so, thanks. I'm glad. Jeez, I'll have to try to figure out what is on my website that's spoily. Maybe hide that somehow. Okay. I, I'm not going to say it because <laughs> yeah, 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 it's sure. spoily. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a handwritten note. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. That, that's what it was. It was the image of a handwritten note. And uh, and then I kind of saw that, and I'm like, oh no, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. I know too much. Yeah. Not fair. <laughs> but, but yes. Um, oh my goodness. So let's see. Why do you, why do you feel the desire to put pen to paper? Well, that's yeah. That's a hard one to answer. I. Uh... It's funny, I, early in July, or not July, sorry, earlier in June, I was invited to um, teach a workshop and give like a lecture at Seton Hill University in Pittsburgh, or just outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and I was supposed to give like this big lunch talk, keynote speech, and it ended up being like almost like, you know, 40 minutes. And the theme of it was, why do I write horror and why do I write? And I felt like it took me, <laughs> I don't know, those 40 minutes to, to talk about it. But even then, in some ways, it's still kind of like a fun inexplicable thing to me um but i would say like briefly i do think i know gr you know so growing up you know i i had this sort of split where like my family life was amazing like i'm very close with my siblings and, and my parents and you know my parents had me when they were 22 so in a lot of ways it almost felt like you know my dad was almost like an older brother at times you know someone who would like play games and sports you know because he was he was so young um and i you know, my grandparents were in the same town. It's like every Sunday we would go there. So, you know, I had this amazing, you know, family experience. But when I went to school, it, it was really a, not a good experience, particularly in the ages, you know, from like seventh grade to 10th grade, where I was a very, I mean, I'm 6'4", 200 pounds now. But, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, I was very short and super, super skinny, you know, and it was picked on and bullied a lot um, to the point where I felt like, that part of school experience for me was more just like a survival experience. Um, so I, you know, without getting too self analyzing or putting myself on the couch too much, I do think I, I have come to the realization. I do think why I write a little bit or a lot. I won't I, actually, I don't know how much of it is, but I do think part of the reason why I do write is to continually prove to that uh, middle school or an early high school, or it's still inside of me that, you know, I, I have something that's, you know, worth saying or, or listening to. Um, but otherwise, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's a combination of everything I've experienced. I mean, um, I don't know, like I've always been drawn to horror movies and, you know, even if they terrify me, you know, and there are a bunch that I don't like, there's a lot of things of horror that I don't like. And I think, you know, fans should be feel empowered to, to criticize things that they don't like of their favorite things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just, I, so that part of it, I'm not sure. It just draws me to do it, you know, uh, <laughs> I was joking with another writer fairly recently that, you know, after every book, I sort of fantasize like, well, you know, if I never write another thing again, I could, you know, be, be proud of the books that I've done. And then I fantasize about just like sitting on the couch and watching Netflix for the rest of my life. But, uh, you know, I eventually find myself back to the keyboard, you know, every time. So. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going <laughs> to say, if, if you're just consuming media all the time, it's like, well, where's the action in that? Right. It's yeah. better to actually be on the court and engaging and, and doing. No, definitely. I've always engaged, I think, without realizing it, like, 
you know, I was a big Larry Bird fan as a kid. You know, so I'd be in the backyard shooting, you know, baskets for hours, just, you know, pretending I was Larry Bird. I'm a big music fan. I used to come home every day after school and just lay on the floor with, you know, our record player speakers, which are like, you know, huge, tented over my head. Yeah, just, you know, imagining that I was actually playing the music, you know, so I'm, you know, I play guitar a little bit. And I still listen to music like that, to be honest, like some of my favorite songs. I, I don't know. I'm, li- I'm enjoying the song, but I'm also still imagining that I'm the one doing it. So, yeah. yeah, there is that part that's always wanted to to be a part of it. Absolutely. And, and I can understand the, I definitely understand the uh, desire to participate and be a part of, you know, uh, something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, and, and the drive and desire to uh, participate and, and be part of it fully. Let's yeah. see. And... Roll again. Okay. Let's see. How? Oh, I would say uh, yeah. some writers do have a daily schedule. Do you find yourself uh, struggling? I mean, you're definitely not struggling at all. But uh, let's see. I I find myself struggling to maintain yeah. a daily schedule devoted specifically to producing something right word count sorts um i'll say no i definitely have struggles i mean this month actually i've 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 not done a great job of uh of meeting sort of my sort of goals i've just started a new novel so some of that is sometimes i've had to take a break and do some research but typically once i get going i try to set myself a goal of 500 words a day um but with that in mind i'll say 500 words a day and then for the week like, well, maybe a few days I might miss. So I said, if I can get 2,500 to 3,000 words a week, that's good. Um, and then I even break that into like a month. Like, you know, I'm going to miss some, I'm going to, you know, fall short some weeks, fall short some days. If I can get like 12, 10 to 12,000 words, I mean, 15,000 words would be amazing. But if I can get 10 to 12,000 words for a month, I, I'll feel okay. Like I won't be upset at myself. Uh, uh, to me, I feel like it's important to, you do want to set goals. Um, but you also want to set them realistically. So, I mean, it's hard enough. You're going to be beating yourself up enough as a writer during the process of writing. And you don't want to, you want to set goals that are so hard to achieve that you're going to end up beating yourself up over missing those goals too. Um, so that, those are some of the, the numbers games that I play with myself. Uh, and I don't, honestly, like I, I don't have like a set schedule. I never have. Um, I just try to take each day as a different one and try to you know, find an hour here or an hour there. You know, sometimes it's in the morning, sometimes it's at night, you know, during the school year, sometimes it's actually during like a free period or, or if the kids are taking a test, <laughs> oh, um, like it's study yeah. hour or something. It's like, okay, kids, you have in a study period today. Right. Yeah. Right. And I have, I've never done that. I've never done okay. that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I am, unfortunately I'm stuck with the 500 words a day thing and I, pretty much just end up it, it just evolves into stream of consciousness sooner uh-huh. or later as you try to dig for anything something right. anything and then i figure at that point it's probably best to step away for a second yeah, uh, yeah. no sure absolutely i mean with cabin um i would say more times than not i missed my 500 word a day 
but mm-hmm. I also I, but I also wasn't too worried about it because I knew it was going to be a shorter novel. Um, and it became to feel like, oh, maybe this is more like of a, a 300, 400 word type of thing. Because I was really some of the things that were difficult for me as a writer was, you know, there aren't a ton of action scenes, but the ones that did you know involve like a lot of staging of you know, different characters having to do some very physical stuff. Um, I found that took me a long time uh, to, to get the way I wanted it to be. Um, you know, so some of it is, you know, I try to remind myself and I think it's good for writers to remind themselves that every story is different. It's not going to go the same way as the previous story, you know, particularly when it's novels, cause they're so long. Um, you know, not even if it's necessary, the pages, the word count, but the amount of time it takes to write a novel, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So if you find out partway through the process that, you know, this one's just going to be a little bit different, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I try to go with it and just embrace the idea that, Hey, this is, you know, this is a totally new project and I try to treat it that way. And that also helps to keep me, I don't say interested, but it keeps me excited. Like, Oh, this is different. You know, everyone likes as much as, you know, I like routine. It's also me. The fun parts are when something unexpected happens or if something sort of new or different happens. And that could be just the story itself or, but it also could be the approach to the story. Oh, oh crud. <laughs> oh, you lost the dice. <laughs> there we go. Okay. The die. Sorry. I'm yes, improper. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, they could be dice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm blaming Jim Pinto for this one because I'm taking a development of his idea. You know okay. what? You should just roll dice and use that to determine which question you ask. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, oh man, <sighs> that that's what I get for not. For, for just being like, I'm going to go freeform today. <laughs> well, so, so I'm absolutely freeform today. And okay. uh, when did you decide that teaching was for you? Um, it was, <laughs> I don't know. Like um, it seems sort of as default, which sounds weird because, you know, I went to, when I went to college in Providence college, I started off as a math education major. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at that point I didn't really know what, I didn't honestly think about like what it was I wanted to do. I was just like, oh, I'm good at math, so I'll just stick with it. What can you do with math? You know, and I wasn't smart. I wasn't smart enough to go talk to like, you know, councils or anything. It's like, oh, I guess if you learn math, then you're going to be a math teacher. So, I mean, that's honestly like how it started. Okay. Um, and then partway through, it's not a very exciting story, but I ended up not a math education major. I did math, a double major of math and humanities. Um, and humanity is just a hodgepodge of liberal arts classes. I, um, but out of those, that stew of liberal arts classes, I only took one English class. It was actually my second semester. My, my last semester of senior year was my first and only English class. But it was a very important class for me. Uh, the teacher was great. Um, and in that class, I read Joyce Carol Oates' Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Mm-hmm. And that story really just like, you know, I'll never forget reading it and, re- and thinking to myself, oh, I didn't know people wrote stuff like this. Um, it really sort of opened my eyes and helped to make me become a reader. So when I went to grad school, uh, I got to go for free, which was amazing. Uh, and they had me teach one class per semester. So, you know, I was exposed to teaching by necessity because I had to teach a class. And, you know, I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I just stuck with it. Wow. I like, I like having the summer off. <laughs> I, I can, I can, yeah. Met, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would do. Um, oh, what, what else was I going to say? 
Um, all right. So have, have you always been drawn to Boston? Um, or has it always, has it just kind of been like, well, here I am, I'll, here I'll stay? Yeah, no, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm sort of a hopeless parochial New Englander. But, you know, I grew up in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is 20 miles north of Boston. Um, you know, I went to both colleges I went to were in New England. One was in Rhode Island, one was in Vermont. Um, so I've never lived in any other part of the country uh, you know, besides New England. So, I mean, there is like just, uh, you know, change is hard and it's the place I know. Um, but I must say that I've really enjoyed uh, and I, it's funny, like if you had asked me like 10, 15 years ago, like I have no interest in traveling. <laughs> but, you know, in the past 10 years, I've had the opportunity because of the book stuff to, you know, to go to yeah. L.A. a bunch of times and this summer to England. And I really do enjoy it. It's been um, a lot of fun. And, you know, and I, and I look forward to doing more travel and, you know, hopefully I, I get that opportunity. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like writing, though, um, I don't know. It's funny because I mean, Boston, there's so many cliches about Boston. That I think, you know, some are true, but some aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same, I, I would guess, with like New England and Gothic literature in general. I think there's, you know, it, it's been mine so much, but I still think it's there's new stuff to be done, you know, you know, yeah. using New England, I hope. Uh, you know, it is sort of, you know, in terms of America anyway, or in terms of the country, the United States itself. Um, you know, it is, you know, one of the older areas in terms of history. Um, you can, you definitely feel it when you're walking around. Um, and that was like a fun part of England. It's like, oh man, you know, <laughs> as a Bostonite, we sort of like, oh yeah, this is the history of America. And then like you go to England and things are thousands of years old as opposed yes. to just a couple hundred. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those things are just fun to, even if you're not even going to use it necessarily in the story, it, I like it having it there, like hanging over the background. So I think it helps to give like a flavor or a feel to the stories. All right. Now, now, now here comes the fun part. Okay. Where I, what was the first album you bought with your own money? Oh, first album I bought with my own money. Okay. I think those were gifts. So I won't count that. I, I think I'm going to say Pyromania by Def Leppard. Ah, yes. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, yeah. I was, so, uh, how long have you been playing the guitar? Not long. I didn't pick it up until I was a senior year in college because I just had a very good friend who played, you know, and he would play. And finally, like, after just watching him play, I was like, hey, show me a few chords. Oh. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, actually, I was really learning how to play the guitar and then messing around with writing at, like, the same time. <laughs> um, but Def Leppard was well before that. I was seventh grade. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a, oh man, as a seventh grader, I had a jean jacket and, you know, Def Leppard pins and there was the a, little a, buttons all over it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, a place called the Record Record Rack in Beverly that I would walk like two miles to whenever I got money every day to spend like, a, you know, to buy like three or four pins and look at the, look at the tapes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Uh, what What's your mine? first record? Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, it was Steve Vai, Passion and Warfare on ah, cassette. A cassette, yeah. Yep. And yeah, I bought... uh, yeah. continue. No, I was going to say, no, yeah, Def Leppard was a record, yeah. It's pre cassettes by a few years, yeah. <laughs> wow. <sighs> I mean, I, I kind of got a sense of that when you said 96, because it's like, oh, I graduated in 96. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, oh, so how long did you do the uh, 
did you do the band thing before you realized, nah, better not? Um, probably, I, I would say for a few years, but again, it wasn't, I was never actually part of like a full band. Um, I did record some stuff with a, a friend who was a really good drummer. Like he, he is like a legitimate drummer, a good musician, very good friend. And that was fun messing around with an old four track recorder. Um, I think I have a couple of songs somewhere that we recorded. They're kind of fun. That, that'll never see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was really, it was right around those same like mid nineties, late nineties where I was still trying to figure out, you know, which I could do, which I couldn't do. Um, yeah. I mean, then the, the realities of, you know, married and having a, like a young child, you know, that's kind of tough to start a band and then go play. Yeah. But again, I never felt like I was good enough to play. Although weirdly, this might sound very bizarre, but I always felt like the, the biggest obstacle, because I could play okay at my peak of guitar playing and I still play. Yeah. But I always, I always felt like the gear, like knowing like, knowing enough about the gear that you needed was like the biggest obstacle. It's like, I, I don't want to, it seemed like a ton of work to figure out, you know, because you actually do just need more than a guitar and an amp in a core, like in a thing you need, you know, all the pedals and all, like all these other things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Well, that was my uh, excuse. That was my excuse anyway. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shout out uh, propeller heads reason. And, and just I'm just gonna leave it at that. It's a okay. wonderful doll. I yeah. use that all the time. Yeah. Um, so the, I I recommend looking into that. That's something right. that you still are interested in achieving. Um, it's a great deal of fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see, I the the one claim to recording anything that I can even talk about <laughs> is. Uh, one time I, uh, I did a track with uh, Mia Fisher of Lords of Acid oh, wow. a couple of years ago. And that was so much fun. Oh, it must have been, so, yeah. Yeah. So, and let's go back to... Um, okay. So when did you make... Wait, I think we already went over that about when you made your first professional sale. Uh, yeah. Uh, that so was in like 97? Um, I like think it was like 2000 or two, th yeah, 2000. Okay. I, actually, it's funny. I got like the first acceptance letter for the first, you know, professional sale while I was in the hospital, like two days after my first son was born. So oh, was like, man. You know, September, September of 2000. Yeah. I'm just actually remembering that that happened. You know, I've made some like smaller, like $10, $20 sales, but yeah, I was in that. I think I was in the hospital, like, you know, because he was a C-section. So they stayed oh, in the hospital wow. for like three days. Um, yeah, man, that was so long ago because he's a senior in high school. He's about to start his senior year in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And actually, he does a lot of recording. He, uh, he doesn't play any instruments, but he, he's into, you know, hip hop and trap. And so he, he makes a ton of, you know, he produces a bunch of beats and produces songs for his friends. And he's, yeah. he's really he's really quite good. And he just uses his laptop and. I think it's the logic software mm -hmm. um yeah so now he's yeah that's so a little bit a little bit better of a grade than what i have been yeah. using yeah no i know he's hard at work on uh like a big project of his that he's gonna release soon so i'll be sure that's to post wonderful. links to that yeah yeah that, that's wonderful um oh gosh uh so 
when again can we expect the collection of short stories from you? Um, I don't have the exact date, but it'll be summer next year sometime. Oh, okay. I'm, ho- I'm hoping it'll be June, um, just because the June has been the releases for the last three books. Oh, okay. um, it makes life easier for me because if it comes out in June, then I can <laughs> go out and do some promotional stuff in July and August. Yeah. You know, while I'm not teaching. Yeah. Cause that was the next question. Can we expect to see you at Necronomicon 2019? Yes. I will okay. definitely be there. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm definitely making an appearance at that one. Great. No, I can't wait. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Oh yes. Um, and uh, now, if I remember right, you did something with Stephen Graham Jones. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know. We should start. We should start talking about that more again. <laughs> we yes. Co- we co-wrote a young adult novel together. Uh, it's called "The Floating Boy and the Girl Who Couldn't Fly." Okay. I'm glad I remember the title because we went through so many title iterations. Like sometimes I'm like, "Was this the title, or or did we change it to something else?" Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun writing with, with Steven. I mean, he's so talented. Um, to me, that was the favorite part of it. Um, yeah, the publishing side of it was, I mean, I mean, Cheesy did great. Um, but like, you know, we had submitted it through my agent first to some bigger places. And that was kind of annoying, the type of feedback that we were getting. But um, the actual writing of it with Steven was a dream. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, the only hard part for the writing is that Steve writes so, Steven writes so fast. My, my plan was like, oh, okay, we can work on this book together. No pressure. Like, <laughs> and then it's when, like, keep up. Yeah, right. When you're, yes. working on, when you're working on your chapter, I can do my thing. And then while I'm working on a chapter, you can do your thing. So I'd spend like a week or two on a chapter. And I would send it. And then Stephen would send me his bit like the next day. Or the longest was like two days later. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just writes so fast and amazingly well. I mean, he's you know, a great person and a great writer. That's fantastic. So do you, do you anticipate uh, co-writing anything with Stephen in the future? Or is that a, up in the air? We'll see. Uh, we, we haven't talked about it, but I mean, I definitely, I would. Um, you, know, there's, you know, it's hard. Everyone's so busy, you know, with their own schedules. You know, that just happened to be like a, a time where I know I was sort of like in between stuff. And, you know, working on that book with him really sort of helped me get through some, oh, some, issues that I was having because that book happened my first two, my first, let me back up a little bit. My first two novels that were published were these crime novels, uh, the little sleep and no sleep to wonderland. They came out in 2009, 2010. Um, and that was with Henry Holt. And, you know, the first book did okay. The second book was dead on arrival. And, um, you know, so it was not a very positive experience with Henry Holt. And, you know, after those two books, I, I was just really, upset and bitter about how it didn't work out and it really let it affect me um you know for almost two years and i think you know one of the ways that i helped climb out of that was you know getting to work with steven because it it was fun to write with him it made writing fun again and that helped me sort of overcome those you know or let go those feelings of bitterness and you know and jealousy had started you know taking root in my head too and you know bitterness and jealousy are the page killers like it, oh, yeah. it doesn't do good for anybody. So, um, no, yeah. I mean, and, and without sidestepping at all, I mean, that, right. that pretty much stepped into the next question that I, sure. I pretty much think that addressed, but what, 
I mean, and which was going to be what was your, uh, what would you say is the most gracious response to rejection that you've had in your career? Uh, so for me, like my most yeah. gracious response, boy, I don't know if I've ever had a gracious response. No, I, I would guess working with Jennifer. I mean, because the, the nice thing was after going through sort of what I went through and, and really maturing and being able to handle rejection more emotionally. Like when I first started, I remember just making terrible mistakes, but I gave myself a 24 hour rule. Like you can't respond. I made myself, you can't respond to any criticism for 24 hours. Because usually, you know, your knee-jerk response is like, what are they talking about? But usually after 24 hours, you know, you can be more objective and go, oh, you know, I see what they're saying. Or, oh, nah, you know, I still think my way is better and here's why. Um, uh, yeah, I still sort of abide by that rule, or, you know, or at least like I'll walk away for a few hours before responding. But now uh, with uh, Jennifer, like, you know, I mentioned she rejected a novel idea that I'd sent her. And even like uh, after Head Full of Ghosts, I didn't have another novel. So I sent her like four or five different novel proposals before we landed on Disappearance of Devil's Rock. So, yeah, so I went through, I went, you know, through, you know, many rejections with her quite a bit. But uh, I don't know. And it was fine. So, I mean, rejection is still hard. Honestly, for me now, the hardest thing is, you know, trying to avoid, you know, online, you know, comments about your stuff and, uh reviews. I mean, that's sort of a different form of rejection at that point, but you yeah. know, it's always there. It's part of the deal. Uh, you know, it's human nature to want to look at some of it. You know, you just can't let it take over your life. <laughs> it's true. That's yeah. true. I think, I think what, who was it? Oscar Wilde said it best. It's better to be talked about or it is better in some sense. It's better to be disliked at least than. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think the hard part is you can, you can uh, rationally understand that that's true. Um, like, so for example, you know, the cabinet at the end of the world, I think this engendered some really strong reactions from people. Um, you know, people really seem to like it. And there's a lot, there's a bunch of people who really, you know, don't like it and don't like the ending in particular. Um, you know, and rationally it can be like, Oh, you know, I would rather people having strong reactions. You don't want people to read the book and just be like, yeah, no, you want them to be like, oh, this is great, or oh, I'm so pissed off. I mean, that's what you want. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a, I think a sign of a healthy book. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you can understand that rationally, but still, at the same time, it's it's hard to overcome the lizard brain of like, um, you know, seeing negative things. You know, particularly when I, I you know, I, we talked earlier when I sort of realized that part of the reason I write is to try to prove to people that you know I have something of worth to say. So it's kind of hard to not like let that old middle school high schooler who was picked on like read those negative things and not have that voice sort of crop back up feedback yeah 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 i'm not good enough yeah but i will say i'm so much like i'm very proud of myself that i i've only read one amazon review it was like the first day the book was on amazon and i've read no good read reviews which is so different than what i did with the head full of ghosts where i read everything um, and, you know, drove myself a little crazy. I'm like, you got to stop doing this. So, uh. <laughs> I, I mean, it, I, I we can only imagine that it, if you let yourself be ruled by that, your every yeah. waking moment would be spent right. like hopping from social media outlet to social media right, outlet, right. scanning for, wow. And that's a <laughs> job in and of itself. Yeah, not a good one. No. <laughs> no way. Um, Oh, 
Now, your proposals, like uh, coming up with the with book ideas right. and proposing them to an agent, an editor. Yeah. Uh, what What is your process for that? I mean, I know that there are a ton of outlets that I could just Google and yeah. find some format somewhere. But to you, how, how would you go about doing this formless, nameless thing? Yeah, well, so, I mean, so these really the ones I've been doing for Jennifer really, I wouldn't call them necessarily. They're not like official proposals because I already have an editor. So it's not like I have to sell her on me. I just have to sell her on a certain idea. So I kind of, I've treated these proposals as essentially like 10 or 12 page versions of the novel where it's just, this is the plot. You know, maybe I give a little bit of setup to like a certain character. If there's important background, like just mention it, but it's really almost like I'm trying to give a map to the plot points of the book. Um, so, so kind of like a longer elevator pitch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I honestly, I, I, am terrible at doing like a, uh, doing like the paragraph summary, especially if I haven't, especially if I haven't read, written the book yet, I have no chance of doing that. So, yeah. um, you know, some book, like a head full of ghosts, I didn't write one because I was, I wasn't on deal at the time. Um, but for most of my novels, I have written sort of a, a summary, not all of them, but some I have. And, and honestly, it, I don't want to say it's more fun to do it without a summary, but it does feel a little bit more fun sometimes to do it without a summary because, you know, everything is sort of new. I mean, I probably still have most of the story in my head, which was the case for a head full of ghosts. But, but when, when things have a lot more like a mystery setup, like the mystery novels and even disappearance of devil's rock, it felt like it had more of a mystery sort of structure. Um, I feel like I have to have a summary of sorts for those because I'm, I'm not good enough to make I'm not good enough to make up a mystery plot as I go. I kind of need, you know, it's not to say things can't change, but it's nice to have at least, you know, the scaffolding to work from, you know, you can, you can change your mind and decide to build a new part of the house afterwards or as you're going, but at least to have the basic part basic there. Rough. Yes. Yeah. Rough, rough pieces of structure. Right. Um, now, huh, sci-fi or fantasy? Um, as a movie viewer, sci-fi. As uh, a book reader. As a reader, it's probably a tie. Honestly, like uh, I, I read so way much more horror. Obviously, um, but yeah, it's really sort of a tie. Uh, like you know, so I've read most of the classics in both genres, um, or not all the classics, but I, what I've read <laughs> would be considered classics, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, w I wish I read more, but, you know, there's only so much time in the day. Like, I spend yes. most of my time reading horror or straight literary fiction these days. Okay. That's kind of what I, I kind of try to mix in my own writing, so, yeah. I, I, can, I can kind of understand that. I think I was listening to an interview with Nick Mamatas, and he said something about, I just read something once and then I'm on with it. If I lose interest, I just keep going because if you read every new thing that comes out, there's so much content oh, already yeah. out there. Right. So I, I can understand from, <laughs> from that point. Yeah. Um, now, let's see. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, boy. That's hard. As a kid, I was always a Spider-Man fan <laughs> i wasn't a huge comic reader but spider-man was like the only comics i'd read but i don't know if i want to be bit by a spider <laughs> <laughs> spiders are scary 
Okay. I mean, S- Superman's flying power is pretty. It's pretty rad. Uh, mm-hmm. It'd be kind of hard to to not choose that one. Although, like having like great strength would be awesome too. It's hard. I see. I'd be greedy. I would want all the powers. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have to pick one, help flying. Flying. Okay. Flying. Right. Well, that sort of presupposes you would have to have some other sort of strengths because, you know, if you're flying, you know, you're putting a great deal of stress on your body, so you probably would have to have yes. some strength to go along with it. So I feel like maybe I, I'm, I'm getting a few extras with the flying, just, just on the basis of being able to fly. <laughs> from, from the laws of, of aerodynamics. Yeah, from the laws of human flight, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that don't exist. Right. Um, oh, what, what was I going to say? Oh, uh Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh. Or if you don't like either one of those, Dune. Which one of the three? Oh. Um, geez, I was going to choose the fourth one, the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, okay. Well, oh, yeah, because I'll, I'll start arguments at school with kids. Like, I, I like the Lord of the Rings movies better than the Star Trek movies. Uh, Star Wars movies. Although, I, sh- I should be able to answer your first question. Star- I would take Star Trek over Star Wars. My dad uh-huh. was a huge Trek fan. So, mm-hmm. by proxy, I watched it. You know, I did enjoy you know, the Captain Picard years. And, you know, I love um, uh, Wrath of Khan is still like one of my favorite, you know, fun 80s movies. Oh, so, yes, absolutely. So, oh, oh, there is there is another one that I'm missing. And you said you weren't you weren't that big of a comics fan. So I'm going to skip the Marvel DC. OK, yeah. And, Although and I'm probably more Marvel just okay. you know, from the from the few things. Superhero eyes from the few things that I've read, probably more Marvel. Although, like, as, a, as an adult, I've read more comics. I do love Alan Moore's take on Swamp Thing. I think that's great. I love Swamp Thing. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, tabletop or video games? Which do you prefer? Um, ah, I've definitely played more video games, but, you know, with my family, we play a ton of games tabletop and cards especially um i think that's more that's more fun so i guess i'll go tabletop even though i might have played more video games in my life because video games is just you like tabletop you're playing with other people and that's more fun that's true true. i mean although i suppose you know people like you know kids now play with the headsets so i've never really done the the big group playing of video games i guess that would be fun but I'm sticking with tabletop. I know I keep trying to switch the answer, but I'll say tabletop. I I don't think there's any way that you can meta this one. (laughs) But but speaking of meta, what question do you wish I would have asked you? Noticing that our hour is starting to draw to a close. Oh, um, geez. Maybe uh, what... (laughs) impact on your life has the band Husker Du um, slash singer Bob Mould had on your creative life? Yes. Tell me about that. I don't know. Um, you don't know? No, no. Sorry. My, uh, my screen said low power mode. I said, oh, oh no. no, because I was hitting a button. No, we're good. Oh, okay. Um, Tell me uh, about it. It's been huge. <laughs> uh, I, no. So I discovered Husker Du, Bob Mould in college and, you know, took over my life. I'm a huge fan and you know, I mentioned I wanted to play guitar so I could learn how to play Bob Mould, Who's Could Do Tunes. And, you know, I still play them. And uh, I named my first short story collection after a Bob Mould song, Compositions for the Young and Old. Um, that was 2004 with Prime Books. So, no, I mean, uh, I've, I've probably seen Bob uh, 20, 30, I'd say 30 times. 
Uh, like I said, I'm still like a huge music fan, a frustrated, not a frustrated musician, but always dreamed of being one. Um, so I, I do, I feel like I can trace my want to create back to my sort of love and discovery of Husker Du because they, they so took over my life for a very formative period of my life when I was, you know, 18 to like 25. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, that's probably the answer to another one of the questions that I had, which is what song would you like to have played at your funeral? <laughs> uh, I just thought of Faith No More, Surprise Your Dead would be really funny. Yes. But <laughs> uh, what song would I want to have played at my funeral? Man, I, I feel like I would have to give that a like, great thought because there's, <laughs> there's some, that's an important song that's pick. Yes. Although, I, although I'm not really around, so I guess, I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, what, which album can you listen to all the way through without skipping a single track? Oh, boy. Without skipping. I don't know if there's any album I can do that now anymore. Um, well, you said can. You said yeah. can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say Helmet's Meantime. Huh? Uh, a band called Helmet and their, their record. Oh, uh, yes. Meantime. Yes. Yes. I, I remember that one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's a great album. It is a great album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, but there, there's another one that's laying in there somewhere. What album, what music do you like to listen to when you, do you have a soundtrack or an album that you listen to and you put on when you sit down to repeat? Yeah. So, I used to prefer to write to nothing, but you know, to, if stuff's going on in the house or if I'm at, or if I'm like in a public place, you know, mm -hmm. I need music to drown stuff out. So I can only listen to things that don't have a lot of lyrics. So I tend to listen to instrumental stuff when I'm, when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. um, this might sound weird, but I, I wrote three books essentially. Uh, it wasn't constant, but I'd always use this record or, or soundtrack. It was the soundtrack to the movie Ravenous, which came out in the late nineties. Oh. Um, yeah. Yes. And it's such an eclectic soundtrack. Um, it's not on Spotify. I'm actually kind of bumming out mm -hmm. because my phone crashed all its music recently. Oh. Um, and I haven't been able to get that back on my phone. I mean, I have the CD, so I just have to get the CD yeah. back onto my laptop somehow. But uh, no, I wrote, I mean, for a head full of ghosts, Devil's Rock and a chunk of cabin. The nice thing mm -hmm. about that soundtrack, it was exactly an hour. So I knew if I only had an hour, I could put that on. Yeah. Um, and it, I almost, I feel like I've trained myself to be able to write to that particular soundtrack. Like I just fall right into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's my, that's probably my favorite, but I always, uh, I do use Mogwai as well. Um, and then there's a old, older, creepy Lust Mord. I think that's sort of redundant, but there's a Lust Mord record, uh, that I write to as well. Okay. Now, uh, speaking of ravenous, there is a band that I absolutely adore. I don't know if they're still around anymore. They're called Daughters. And they oh, wrote yeah. a lovely song to that movie. They did. I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. No, I have their last record, I think. No, I, I mean, I think it's their last record. I definitely have a Daughters the record. The self-titled by Hydrahead? Or put uh, out under Hydrahead? Yeah, the self-titled, uh, yeah. Daughters, Daughters. And yeah, it has a picture of like a woman. Yes. Like a, yes. 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 Yeah. That's I. Oh, that's on my phone. I own that one. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yay. No, I, I like that album quite a bit. Is that song on that 
Yes. Record. What, what's the name of the song? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. The, la- the, la- the First Supper, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and like really listen hard to those lyrics now. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so, I'm so glad you told me this. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I love those guys. Like, I, uh, when I was learning ASL, and I still kind of have it, because if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. And, uh, and it was the one about the man coming to the know-nothing town. The eyes are uh-huh. the, uh, the eyes are the something of the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and that one, I signed to a lot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, but anyway. Yeah, so are there any, do you have any more questions that you wish that I would have asked you? Because no. I feel like I'm, I'm dropping a gigantic opportunity here, but I don't want to keep you too long from your evening. Yeah, there's no more wishes. There was the will of the dice, or the die, okay. sorry. All right. So, and, and that is thanks to Jim Pinto. So anyway, thank you so much for your time. I sure, greatly pleasure, appreciate Leah. it. And you have a wonderful evening, Paul. Thank you. You too. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.